Fellow Mountaineers, you made it to another episode of the Bearded Eared Podcast titled Trust the Beard. In this session, I'll give my from-the-couch thoughts on West Virginia's big win over BYU Cougars, and I want to remind all the old grads and young lads that this podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Just search Trust the Beard. And for more content, follow me on social media, on Twitter or X and Facebook at Earbeard. That's E-E-R-B-E-A-R-D. But without further ado, let's dive into episode 18, which I have titled Bound for Bowling. Hey, Mountaineer fans, before we get started, I wanted to extend an invitation to all of WVU Twitter for a special event on Thursday, November 9th at 6 p.m. On Twitter Space or X Space, we're going to have a collaborative live show featuring a number of content creators that produce for West Virginia sports called the Mountaineer Roundtable. The show will feature Kuz's Corner, Country Roads Webcast, Mike Asty from West Virginia Sports Now, Mountaineer Paul Talks Football, Press 50, Raspy Voice Kids, The Ryan and Rush Show, West Virginia Sports Talk, and yours truly from the Trust the Beard podcast. We will dive into West Virginia sports, specifically football, and maybe some basketball. We'll give each of our thoughts on the state of the program, what does it look like moving forward, and the future of Neil Brown. So we're all very excited to put this together. We hope you can join live to listen. If not, we will record it and share it. Again, that'll be live Thursday, November 9th at 6 p.m. on Twitter Space. We hope you can join us. Good morning, Mountaineers. This is the Bearded Ear coming to you with this little session I call From the Couch. It's just me on my couch in the morning with my mug of coffee. No stats, no analytics, just a couple notes so I stay on track. But I'm just going to tell you what I like about the game, what I didn't like, and where the program is moving forward. This morning, we'll be talking about West Virginia's big win over BYU on Saturday. And right now I have my mug of coffee. It's a gold mug celebrating 125 years of West Virginia football. And again, it is filled with Folgers Black Silk. I highly recommend it. And no, they are not a sponsor. But if anyone from Folgers is listening, I am open. Open for business. (laughs) So we'll get right into the game. This is 7.52 Monday morning, November 6th, the overall feel is what I have in my notes. Well, it felt good, right? These these always feel good after a win. I'm glad the last two weeks haven't been a therapy session. But from the start, the team just seemed to have this big energy. Players were flying to the ball. Big things were happening. Uh, I even noted, I think on one of the kickoffs, DJ Oliver you know, our fourth string uh, running back made a huge tackle on special teams coverage. And I think it was right then it kind of hit me. I was like, this this team's playing a little bit different tonight. They're playing bigger than themselves. This this could be a special night. And sure enough, it, it was. And, and again, the team energy just from the start, we were clicking on all cylinders. And if you remember last week during this, it might have been the last episode or my last couch session. I said, this is what we needed. 
This is what West Virginia needed to do. We got a big win on the road at Central Florida. Now we need to stack that with a dominating win at BYU. And I was calling for a win that was at least 14, 21 points. We got 30, 37 to 7. And I was really hoping for that shutout. Uh, I even put a poll. There's about 11 minutes left in the game. I put a poll on Twitter asking fans if Neil should go for the shutout. And I think over 50% said that he should go for the shutout. Now, I understand why he didn't, right? You want to reserve some guys, uh, not get any injuries, uh, get some younger players, some playing time, especially since the game was in hand, right? But it would have been nice. It would have been an extra icing on the cake uh, to get a shutout. But nonetheless, we performed as good as we should have. We did what we were supposed to do. We blew them out at home at night. That's what we're accustomed to in West Virginia football, right? Uh, At least in recent memory. We'll say the last 15 years or so. So it was good to get that win and get get it in big fashion. You know, a shout out to Chuck Howley, getting his number retired, number 66. Uh, Why it took us so long to get that, who knows. But I understand. He also got inducted to the NFL Hall of Fame. So having that and his number retired at West Virginia at the same time, a pretty special year for that that gentleman. And uh, what an athlete he was. Uh, So great to see, you know, get him getting all this recognition. And so I put a question out to Twitter feel free to respond to me on Twitter or Facebook. Who's the next great Mountaineer that should have their number retired? So think about that for a little bit. I I have a feeling some of the younger generation, maybe my age, I have a feeling I know who they're going to say. Uh, The older generation may have somebody else, but we'll see. Uh, So again, if you you want to respond to me in either way, uh, let me know who you think the next great Mountaineer should be. So getting back into the game, I'll I'll have a list of notes here. I'm going to talk about the offense, the defense, the special teams, the crowd, and then some things I didn't like. And then we'll talk about the program moving forward, at least for this year and maybe beyond. So the offense, well, what can you say? Uh, We had over 500 yards of total offense. Uh, By halftime, we had 180-some yards rushing. And I put out there last week as when I was doing the breakdown for the game, BYU and Big 12 play had given up an average of 185 yards on the ground. Somewhere around there. It was like 180s. We had 186 right before halftime. I think with just a couple minutes left. So we were just humming. Uh, it's great to see a lot of these young guys getting serious playing time and and not just playing time but being big time contributors you know Jaheim White Rodney Gallagher uh, Traylon Ray there's probably a couple other I'm, I'm forgetting that these are true freshmen right and and I know I, I've said this before at this point in the season Rich, Rod- Rich Rodriguez used to say these guys aren't freshmen anymore right if you, if you go all the way back to camp in the beginning of August. And someone like Jaheim White came in in the spring. So he's been here almost a full a full year. But like Gallagher came in fall camp. You know, we're talking almost four months now in the program. Like, what is that, almost 12 weeks? 
But yeah, these guys aren't freshmen. They, they've been through a lot at this point. And now they're starting to come into their own. You can tell the coaches are comfortable because they're putting them in there and they're calling plays for them. A coach will let you know what they think of a player. You know, are they being used? Right? Are they are they getting targets? Are, are there play calls for them? And we've seen with Jaheim White and Traylon Ray and Rodney Gallagher, that's the case. And I think moving forward, that speaks a lot about the offense. I'll say it again, it's amazing how well play calling a coach's play calling is when you have playmakers. You know, I don't want to skip ahead too much, but it kind of seems like all Neil Brown had to do was get rid of some of Holgerson's guys and have his full roster. I'm kind of half joking about that, but these guys have stepped up in a huge way. And again, they're only, they're true freshmen, not even redshirt, true freshmen. This is their first year in collegiate football. Now again with Jaheim White, he did come in in the spring, so he has some extra time, you know, in the weight room and, you know, got to play in the spring game, obviously had a had a big game there, kind of showed flashes of what he could do, uh, but this offense is just humming, and again, Garrett Green continues to be our MVP, hashtag lean on green, I will say it for the rest of the year, and does he make a lot of completions? No, he was probably, what, 50%, I think 12 for 24 something like that, but he doesn't turn the ball over and he's making pretty good reads and he knows what to do with the ball. He's not putting us in bad situations. Uh, The only thing I would kind of correct, I guess you would say, or work on is medium passes, right? He, He sails them a little, but you know, maybe that's something for next season. I I don't think you're suddenly going to see that change. Um, from here on out with only, well, now four games left, right? We, we we're bowling now. That's not going to suddenly get better. That's something he'll work on in the off season. But for now, it's it seems to be working, right? If he can just get those a little closer to target, I think we'll be pretty good. But again, I'm not expecting that to happen this year. Now let's turn to the defense. Actually, I want to touch on one more thing with the offense. My apologies. The penalties. Oh, boy. I don't know with Doug Nestor out. You know, kind of have to rearrange some of the linemen uh, that threw us off. I know we were going up-tempo a little bit. Um, but the false starts, you know, that, that's got to get cleaned up. And I know that's easy to gloss over because we had such a big win. But you can't do that this week with Oklahoma. And really, you don't want to do it for the rest of the season, right? I mean, I know Cincinnati and Baylor aren't juggernauts of the of the Big 12. In fact, they're the opposite, right? They're sitting near the bottom. We're just lucky that BYU wasn't good enough to to overcome that. And they had some, some major penalties themselves, so they kind of balanced out. But you can't always count on the other team equaling the amount of penalties that you have. So... That's kind of a concern. I mean, it's it's not a major concern to me, but it's something you're obviously going to have to clean up because it's not a trend, right? It's not something we've seen out of this team all season long. Typically, we're pretty buttoned up as far as that goes. Uh, now, turnovers, we did awesome. Did not turn the ball over once. We did get an interception. You know, we won that battle, and I thought that was really important. 
And I thought the penalties were too. And like I said, we were just lucky enough that BYU had just as many as we did. Now, turning to the defense. This is the best I've seen them play in a while. Not the best overall, but the best I've seen them play in a while. Now, part of that has to do with, I'll just say, the lack of talent on BYU's offense. I mean, they have a backup quarterback. You know, he was a junior junior college transfer. And you had some other key guys out, uh, some key wide receivers. I think uh, a, a big O-lineman of theirs was out as well. And it actually was told to me before this even came out that they were going to be missing some people. And a writer from BYU, uh, you know, shout out to James from from uh, Press 50, who gave me this information, is a writer from BYU told him that they thought BYU would be lucky to even score 24. And if they had any chance, this would game would have to be in the low 20s. Well, it turns out they, they didn't score any. Now, eventually they got seven, but that was against our backups. But uh, our defense came to play, you know. And, I, and I'll say this about anyone, I guess, complaining or nitpicking that you know, BYU is not that great. That's true. They're they're not having a great season. The record at five and three is fool's gold. Right? They beat Cincinnati and Texas Tech. You know, West Virginia can't they can only play who's in front of them. Right? They can't pick and choose who they get to play. BYU is the next game at home. They show up at home and play BYU. That's all they can do. You know, it's not Neil Neil Brown's job to help the other team prepare for the game. Or make sure that Slovis and all the other starters don't get hurt. We play who we have to play. And that's just who it was that week. And we took advantage. And the defense took advantage. I think it just showed that when we play at our best, we can be pretty dominating. And maybe you can say that about a lot of teams. But the talent has to be there to be dominating. And I think the talent is is here at West Virginia. I think it's just taking some time to finally gel. But yeah, defense played great. Special teams. Michael Hayes, I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit. I really don't. He was money all game. And not just that, but if you watch his his field goals, they're right down the middle every single time. Was a 46-yarder or maybe a 50-yarder? I can't remember. He had a close one that was like off to the the left hash, which those aren't always easy, right? Because they're at these weird angles. Sometimes the closer you get, the harder it can be off of one of the hashes. And he just nailed them all. And I think he's only missed one all season. And he's just been automatic for us. Of course, Ollie Straw, you know, he did what he did. He only had to do it once, but he's a great punter. Our special teams played really well, except for one what would have been a return kickoff return for a touchdown. Luckily they got a penalty, but uh, I don't know what was happening on that one. It looked like nobody was there to tackle. So certainly there's always things to clean up. You're never going to have a perfect game, but it's always easier to, to address those things after a win. The only question I have on special teams is towards the end, we were doing this high in the sky pooch kick on kickoffs. And I'm not sure why. I haven't heard an explanation. Maybe Neil will get to it today at his press conference, but I I really don't know what that was about. And to me, after you gave up what would have been a kickoff or a touchdown, that seemed kind of dangerous. 
And maybe there was a different kicker in there. I, I really don't know. I, I haven't had a chance to look at anything. Like I said, I do these in the morning. I've kind of had a weekend to decompress and, you know, after family time and just think about everything. But overall, it was a dominating win. And that's exactly what we needed. A uh, lot of momentum. And we're getting ready for Oklahoma. So on my next notes, I have about the crowd. I thought the crowd was good. I'm a little disappointed in the student section. Uh, I don't know what's going on with them. I would see shots of, of the camera shots of the crowd, and the student section is almost nowhere to be found. Of course, I'm on social media during the games, posting stuff, and a lot of people are complaining about the student section as well. And I, I just don't get it. And I don't want to be, you know, the old man that yells at clouds, and you know, back in my day. But I will say, back in my day, you know, I, I went to WVU in the early 2000s. We didn't miss many games. And there wasn't many games that we left early. Now, I will admit, and I hate to admit this, I left 2005 Louisville. I left early, probably chasing a girl or something. Uh, but I, I did leave early. Um, I always regret that. But, you know, we live and we learn. But other than that, you know, sometimes the Thanksgiving games that fall in those weeks, that's that's a low crowd because no one's at home. Or I'm sorry, everyone goes home. You know, no one sticks around that week. And, and that's understandable. I get it. It's usually crappy weather. Uh, I've looked through past attendance uh, records, and that week is typically our worst one. But you have a night game, 7 o'clock, a chance to go bowling, and you just didn't show out. And I, I don't understand that. And such a big win, too. That's, I think that's what gets me is, you know, when you're dominating like that, at least when I was in school and, and some of the years after, the Pat White years, when we were dominating, I wanted to stay and watch. I wanted to see what else we could do. I remember a game uh, right before the game that won't be mentioned. We played UConn. And I think we beat him like 66 to 21. Well, we stayed the whole time. Now, I wasn't a student, but we still got into the student section anyway. And and we stayed the whole time because you don't know what you have till it's gone, right? And I wanted to stay and enjoy those moments. And so that just kind of bothers me. And I, you know, I, I don't know what the reason is. You know, I've heard many things of we don't have a lot of in-state students that don't have the same connection to WVU, right? They'd rather go party. Uh, there's better things to do. Uh, ticket prices, although with students, your your price is built into your tuition, so you essentially get it for free. Now, I've heard someone talk about the way tickets are uh, are given out to students is is kind of a a system that needs worked on. I'm not sure what it is. Again, I haven't been a student in... Uh, I don't even want to do that math. <laughs> uh, but I remember a time... Again, I'm going to do, be the old man that yells at clouds. I remember a time we had to go down to the mountain layer, stand in line, and and get a, a, a physical ticket, right? A, a piece of paper that told us where we were supposed to sit. And you had to go early, right? And you'd stand in line for a long time to get that ticket. That's how you used to do it. Now, eventually they moved up, obviously with technology, you can do everything online. But I can't imagine if that system was created 
or use today uh, what the fans, uh, what the student sections would look like. Uh, and I, even as a student, I always thought that we should probably get rid of one section and open that up to, to people who are willing to go. You know, that's just my thoughts. Uh, and maybe the scarcity will, will drive up ticket demands for the students, right? Uh, that's just my personal opinion. Uh, and if there's a reason why you think the student section is bare like that, let me know. You know, shout out at me on Twitter, on Facebook, because uh, I have no idea. I just think it's a bad look, right, on, on such a big game. So next in my notes, uh, I did forget to mention something uh, on offense. I thought in the second half and, and a couple times in the in the first half, it seemed like we settled for field goals. At first, it didn't sit well with me. I'm like, I, I want those to be touchdowns. Let's punch it in. Let's get 40 plus, you know, even 50. But then I, I thought back on when I did my review on Thursday, you know, BYU's uh, red zone defense is pretty solid. I think their efficiency on for touchdowns, not just field goals, but only touchdowns, as I usually do, I think the defense was 12 of 25. So they give up less than 50% of touchdowns in the red zone. And you think about some of the teams they've played. You know, they've played Texas, uh, Texas Tech. They've played Kansas. So some some pretty potent offenses. And, you know, they've done pretty decent to to hold, hold those teams to either field goals, um, you know, not allow a lot of touchdowns. So once I thought about that, I'm like, okay, I... I can understand settling for field goals. And plus, when you have a lead like that, I, I guess you're not really putting the pedal to the metal, so to speak, right? You're, you're at least just coming away with points, so it doesn't really hurt us too much. So I'm kind of 50-50 on that, right? I, I would like to have seen more touchdowns because a lot of those came on big-time plays. I remember there was one... Donaldson broke a huge play, and I believe another one where Traylon Ray had a big catch, or maybe Devin Carter had a big catch downfield. You know, we had a lot of momentum going. You're hoping for a touchdown, and we settled for field goals. But as long as the defense was playing well, points were points, and and that's what it turned out to be. So a little disappointed in that, but it's, again, not a major issue. It was what it was. BYU, again, has a pretty decent uh, red zone defense, so... But that's my thoughts on the game. It was great, right? <laughs> I mean, what's what's not to like about a 37-7 win in conference to get bowl eligible? Uh, so on my next set of notes, I have moving forward, right? What does this mean for the program this season and beyond? Well, we're bowl eligible for the first time since 2021. That's always a plus. So check that box for Neil Brown. And I have to say, he's checked a lot of boxes this year, right? I said he had to have an A season to to get his overall coaching GPA up to a B after five years. And I had a list of what I would call demands, you know, boxes that he had to check. And so far, he's got those. You know, the, the Houston game will always be a bad taste in our mouth. It just, it, it, it will. You know, you, you could say, well, we should be seven and two, but we aren't. And those things happen, right? It's supposed to be the game you're not to mention, but I'm going to mention it. You know, we should have beat Pitt in 2007. There's no reason 
If you look at the teams, there's no reason we should have lost that game. It happens. We should have beat Miami down there in 2002 or three. No, we didn't. Heartbreak is part of college football. So that's always going to be one that sticks for this season, the kind of the, the biggest what if. All the boxes to me have been checked up to this point, right? We beat Pitt, we beat Tech, we got a signature win and on the road at TCU. Now I know looking back from this point, it doesn't look like TCU is, is that great this year. But at the time, that was a big win. We needed that one, and it was a surprise. I've, I've mentioned this before. I didn't predict, predict us to win, and I don't think a lot of other people did either. Uh, but we came away with it, and so we checked that box. And the next one was bowl eligible. Check. Uh, to me, again, I said it last week. I'll say it again. The next one is eight wins. Now, I prefer that come in the regular season and not seven with a bowl win, but I think eight wins is a mark that we need to get to this year for him to have an A season. So moving forward, you know, we got Oklahoma on the road, Cincinnati home at Baylor. And I'm always trying to be cautious about thinking ahead. After Penn State, I'm like, well, let's wait till after September. And then after... September and then the bye week I'm like let's let's let October play out right and now then we can start projecting well now we're into November and with three games left you certainly can project the rest of the season because it's all laid out there right there's enough games played by everybody to see how good or bad they are and with that said we should beat Cincinnati we should beat Baylor I'm not going to say that we uh, there's no reason not to. There's a lot of reasons not for that not to happen. I think we've seen this year, prior years, and all through college football, and I said this way back in August when we were doing our predictions, injuries are something you just can't account for. When we do these preseason polls and preseason rankings, this is all on the assumption that everyone on that roster is still on the roster by the end of the season and they're all healthy. That's just not true. <laughs> That's just not the way college football operates. You're always going to have injuries. Sometimes the backups where it doesn't mean a lot, sometimes to key starters, sometimes to your quarterback, completely changes the outlook of your team. And we saw that this year, right? Neil Brown even said he thought the pit game was where Garrett Green was going to have a breakout game. Like that's where this was all going to start. Well, he got hurt, and so we had to shrink the playbook for Nico the rest of that game and for Texas Tech. And then Garrett Green had to heal up, and as we saw, as he got better, or as he his ankle healed and he got a better flow of the offense, now he's playing lights out. And that could have happened at Pitt, but unfortunately there was an injury. And so moving forward, we don't know when those things are going to happen, and certainly don't wish it on anybody. Not us or not any of the opponents. You you hate to see a player get hurt. But that's why I don't like to say, you know, there's no reason we shouldn't. Because, again, there are a lot of reasons why you wouldn't win a game. And certainly injuries are probably the number one thing. But if if all is is the same as it is this week, right, for the rest of the season, everyone's healthy for the most part. You know, we get Doug Nestor back. You know, the, the young guys are really starting to find their roles in the offense we should beat Cincinnati and we should beat Baylor now with Oklahoma 
That's going to be tough. Now, they're certainly vulnerable. We've seen that the last two weeks. But we know there's a lot of emotion in, in college football. It's not just X's and O's and your stats and who recruited who and four stars and five stars. That plays a big role into it. But there's also a lot of emotion. And right now, we are riding high on a two-game winning streak. We just got bowl eligible. We blew out a team, you know, a Big 12 opponent. And Oklahoma has suffered two straight losses, the most recent to their rival. And so going out there, they're going to want to make things better. They're going to want to correct things. I think that certainly plays in Oklahoma's favor. You know, you see this a lot in sports. Like think of the NBA. You have like these seven-game series. Higher seed gets two games at home to start. Well, let's say they win those. Now they got to go on the road. You can almost predict and guarantee that the home team is going to win that third game. Because, right, the, the, the team that won the two games, they're a little bit more relaxed. They're going on the road to a hostile environment. The other team knows that if they lose this one, the series is pretty much over. So they're, lo- they're more laser-focused. They're, they have more attention to detail about everything. And you can almost guarantee that they'll win that third game. That's kind of how I feel about the Oklahoma game. right? We're riding high. Uh, we we might not have as much of an edge as we would have, right? And Oklahoma coming off two losses, they they might have more of an edge. They can feel the Big 12 title slipping away from their fingers if they would lose a third one. So I think they're going to be a little more locked in. And that's just the nature of sports, the nature of human beings. You know, when everything's going well, you you kind of just let your guard down a little. But when your back is against the wall, you focus a little more. That's just how it is. And so I think with that, I think Oklahoma has that little bit of advantage. And and I would be surprised, certainly, if we go out there and pull the upset. If we do, whew, that's the, the, the box to check of all boxes, right? That would do wonders for our program. And then moving forward, you know, beating Cincinnati and Baylor, having nine wins in a season... That, that would just be amazing. But again, I'm jumping way, way ahead of the curve here. That's kind of just my short thoughts on, on the Oklahoma game coming up. Obviously, later in the week, I'll have more numbers and, and we'll break that down and everything and I'll have a prediction. Uh, but this is going to do it from the, uh, from the couch session. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, another big win for West Virginia. And uh, we'll get ready for Oklahoma on the road. And I appreciate you guys for listening. And as always, let's go Mountaineers. Fellow Mountaineers, I want to thank you again for joining me for episode 18 of the Bearded Eared podcast titled Trust the Beard. And I want to remind all the old grads and young lads you can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Just search Trust the Beard. And for more content, follow me on social media on Twitter, X, and Facebook at Earbeard. That's E-E-R-B-E-A-R-D. Once again, thanks for listening. And as always, let's go Mountaineers!